Hey, welcome to episode 132 of the Collector's Quest podcast. Real simple episode, we're talking about our experiences at the 2019 Portland Retro Gaming Expo, kind of how the feel of the show changed since last year, all the people we met, what we found, Stefan's cool panel, and then we're going to have a discussion on the definition of collectible and what is collectible. Give us five stars somewhere, tell your mom to listen to the show. Let's go. Welcome back to another episode of Collector's Quest. I'm Tyler here with Johnny and Stefan. What's going on, guys? Hey, Tyler. Hi, Tyler. Uh, so before we get started, I wanted to kind of address the elephant in the room. Uh, I think a lot of people who are listening right now already know because they follow me on Instagram or Facebook. For the last four years, I think this audience is pretty familiar with my wife having some significant health issues. She's been living with stage four breast cancer uh, for three of the last four years. Uh, so... Heather passed away uh, early on Friday morning, so uh, I just wanted to put that out there so everybody knew. Um, she was a huge, huge supporter of me doing this podcast, me being in this hobby. You know, she very famously um, bought me my copy of Stadium Events, so she's always really been uh, behind my passions and and in everything, and you know, more more video games than than anything else, but. Um, one of actually one of her dying wishes, um, you know, our last conversation together, she said, "You, no matter what, you are still going to Portland." Um, so I did go to Portland. I know there's been a lot of like people asking, uh, you know, how it is I'm chugging along, and um, frankly, it's you know, I had three years to think about, you know, this week, and um, I've sort of micro mourning Heather for. Uh, for that time, you know, not acting like she's already dead, but, you know, just being very practical and, and anticipating the inevitable. So, um, so I'm pretty okay. I have my moments and, uh, but on the whole, I'm mostly just happy for her. She was in, you know, I, I only, since my Instagram is very retro driven, I, uh, don't, tend to put a, a ton of, of updates on her health but towards the end she was in a tremendous amount of pain and you know difficulty breathing and everything and so um, I'm really just happy that that she gets to be at peace and um, and Piper is doing very well you know she's she's four so she doesn't really understand the concept of death really I think it'll be a uh, you know six months to a year before um, she really understands what happened. Uh, but yeah, I just didn't want to get it. You know, I was going to record something separately um, for the audience, but I decided to bring it up at the top of the show so that I wasn't awkwardly trying to avoid it when I was like talking about Portland or anything like that. Cause it did, you know, I, I was driving to Portland with red, the game shark. When I, when I got the call, I, I left her bedside about three hours before she died. Um, and uh and that's it. I think that's all I got to say about that. I know you wanted to get that off your chest, and people are going to ask if we're going to discuss it further. We're not. We're going to move right into the show. We're going to talk about Portland, our experience there. Just a couple of highlights. And, uh, you know, I think 
All things aside, I think Portland was a really successful show for all of us on individual levels. Um, we we all had, uh, you know, I don't want to say we all had fun, but uh, there were some successes there. I had fun. I think Tyler had fun. And I think the show was a success for Stefan. So let's talk about that, guys. Uh, you okay with moving into this? Yeah, I'm good. All right, cool. So, Stefan, um, let, let's actually just go right to you because I think... It's one of the highlights of the show for me as well. Uh, your Nintendo gameplay display or gameplay counselor display and your panel. I thought those were great. I enjoyed being in the audience for them, even though you did not pick me to answer my question because I had I so many. Yeah. And uh, I understand. But I thought that that panel was great and I thought your display was great. And those were things uh, were some of my favorite things I did at the show. So why don't you tell us about them? Well, thank you. And, you know, just this goes to show, um, you know, why I addressed Heather at the top of the show, because the reason why I was so pleased that that the panel went so well and and we did we packed the room everyone was super responsive but you know this is you know heather had been my purpose for a year and or for three years you know keeping her going and then all of a sudden i didn't have that and so to have the tremendous amount of feedback that i got from the only other thing that i was doing for the last year um was really really vindicating so yeah um we had uh i had my my gameplay counselor display in the museum and this shouldn't be news to anyone who regularly listens to this podcast because we've been talking i've been talking about it for months but uh i did have my display in the museum it was awesome we put together a rough approximation of what a gameplay counselor desk would have looked like uh as best i could with you know faking a cubicle with conference tables uh, but it was awesome and then and i also got some display cases and a trophy case and some uh dress forms for the jackets and it was a beautiful display and i was really really happy with the way that it turned out but even more so i was super pleased with how the panel went um we and when I say we, I mean me and the gameplay counselors, like none of us really knew how interested people would be in this like little dark niche of Nintendo history that no one really knows a whole lot about. Uh, and at the top of the, so at the top of the show, uh, before people came in, we were, we didn't understand that, that they, uh, ushered that they were clearing rooms between panels. So everyone left and it was literally, Alexi Pagetnov, the creator of Tetris, was the only one in the audience. And we were like, um, all right. And then they opened the doors and like it flooded in. And we, we, I know we didn't fill the room because there were a few seats in back, but we came real damn close to, to filling the room. Um, and so everyone, you know, on the panel was super, super pleased. Uh, we've already been asked back next year by Portland. Um, and I know uh, there's a show in Milwaukee that's that's talking to us about. So th- th- there, this might, there might be an opportunity here to, to travel with the panel a little bit. So we're all really, really excited about that. Um, I know Johnny had mentioned that we didn't get to his question and that was because there were probably 40 unanswered questions. I just was not as a moderator, I was not anticipating there being that many questions. Uh, so I think Me next and Johnny year, both had our hands up. You didn't pick we, either of us, Stephen. Right, that was some yeah. We were right up there shit. up front. There was, <laughs> we were right there, man. I I swear to God, I some picked the bull- first people. Okay, so so some changes to next year's panel. Uh, I am either going to lead with questions or just do a very small introduction and then have just a lot more time for questions. Um, I also want to set up, none of those rooms were set up. 
uh, ideally four questions. Like I would, I what I wanted was a, a microphone in the aisle, and then people could get in line, and then that would be a more fair way. Because otherwise, it's after every question, everyone raises their hands again, and I can only see who you know pick who I see first. Um, there was a bunch of cheaters just, in the audience who just never put their hands down. Like they're like, say, oh, the question is two thirds over. I'm going to shoot my hand up and say, yeah. ooh, ooh, Stefan, some pick nonsense. me. Yeah. yeah, so that so it's not the way that the questions were handled were not optimal. I absolutely agree with that. Um, I don't care about but, optimal. I care about favoritism. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I think you know the chemistry on on stage was awesome. Uh, we I've had people reach out to me privately and say that it was the best you know the best thing of the show for them. They really enjoyed it. Um, I know. Some of the gameplay counselors have also been uh, reached out to via like LinkedIn, and and we're just you know overwhelmed by the uh, feedback they've been getting. I know Avet Waters uh, in particular was approached uh, several times at the end of the show. You know, thanking uh, people were thanking her for you know representing women in in the industry when like there weren't very many women in the industry, uh, and we did actually take some time during the panel to talk about that. Uh, I did not record the panel. I know the show did, and I'm I am I am making sure that 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 gets online uh, somehow. So I'm not sure whether or not I'm going to host that or if the show is going to host that. But uh, but it will be available. And like I said, we're definitely coming back next year and to Portland and likely to uh, other shows as well. Yay! And uh, how did your museum thing go? Like, talk about the rest of your highlights. Because I, I thought, like I said, usually Portland has some panels. They have the auction, and I think. Most of them are pretty not interesting. This is the best panel I've been to here. It's not like Comic-Con where you get like these great panels and stuff. Even early Comic-Con where they had like interesting topics and like the artists like Portland, I feel like it's been pretty slim on great panels. And I thought this one was really good. But you also had the museum and this was one of the more interesting displays in the museum as well. So, Well, thank you. And the museum was interesting because uh, as I was talking to people, it was funny to me how there's this like generational rift when it comes to uh, things like telephones and the internet and how they relate. Uh, children like 12 and under were like, I don't understand why they didn't just Google it. Like in earnest, like they they didn't get why why the internet was not just their solution instead of the call center. But then even like some young adults, like early 20s, late teens, you know, they'd come up to me and be like, hey, so is this like a development thing like are they make you know is this how they made games i'm like no this is from the call center and then their like eyes would glaze over as i was explaining it to them and it became abundantly clear they had no idea what the like functional purpose of a call center was <laughs> um uh, so uh, what a charmed life to not understand call centers yeah it's like so you've this- been google yeah. So the second day uh, after people had seen the panel, there's a lot more understanding. And uh, to my one of the challenges there was that uh, I didn't really get a freestanding sign printed out to kind of explain uh, at an overall level what the display was. And they wouldn't let me hang anything on the wall. Like we weren't allowed to attach anything to the wall. So uh, so I couldn't put it. I was going to put up a banner, but I didn't I wasn't able to put up a banner. So but, uh, it, you know, the display was awesome. People were really, really responsive, super, super interested. Uh, Howard Phillips showed up to both the panel and the display. And he uh, he Howard Phillips blessed my display. So I thought that was pretty great. Um <laughs> But yeah, um, but it was it was very flattering. I got strong feedback on the panel, especially from both Howard Phillips and Alexi Pagetnoff. So those are some, that's some pretty high praise. So I'm I'm 
I'm very, very, very thankful. Um, you know, thank you to the Video Game History Foundation, uh, Frank Cifaldi and Kelsey Lewin, uh, particularly for having me and uh, and helping me out all weekend. Um, so and oh, and there was a uh, one volunteer uh, by the name of Lane who was very, very helpful to me. Uh, he let me throw annoying tasks like uh, building a podium at him, and uh, so uh, that was really, really helpful. And it was just a great show. And you know, when I when I'm trapped in a room all weekend and I still say I have a, I had a great show, you know, that's, that shows how much, how much that really meant to me. So I'm, I'm super, super happy. Awesome. Well, I'm, you know, uh, out of all the things that happened that weekend, I'm glad that you, uh, I'm glad the show was a, a big success for you. I really am. Yeah, me too. I, I don't, uh, you know, I don't get into the genuine, like, Hey, congrats guys. Like I do it a few times and you guys don't take compliments well, so you make it hard, but yeah, I really <laughs> thought, I think you did a nice job. And, uh, like I was, in, I know all the stuff you bought. We talk about it all the time. I, I've been in your game room, you know, multiple times and I still thought it was impressive. So, yeah, you know, it's, um, it was really cool to finally, cause like I have, I've only ever had that set up the way that I had it set up, like with an actual recreation of a desk in my head. Uh, and so it was the first time that I'd actually really, you know, this is the first time I'd shown the, the collection publicly. So it was really the first time I've ever seen it laid out the way that I would if I had infinite space. Right. And so it was just a very cool, like taking some, I felt like I really was taking something that was in my head and putting it down into the real world and like creating something. So, uh, so yeah, it was just, it was felt, it felt really good that, uh, that I thought I, that I nailed it and everyone seemed to respond well. So. All right. Well, again, good job. All right, Tyler. Um, Stefan got to talk a lot. Um, <laughs> And it's like he got a bunch of cool Nintendo stuff. Why don't you tell me how the show was for you? Because we, you and I had infinitely different experiences than Stefan at this show. Yeah, right? Like, so I'm going to steal your story first just because it ties into Stefan's panel. Uh, That's all you do, Tyler. I know. I also also like being the guy who steals stories. I think it's funny. So Stefan in his panel, like no one was expecting this. I knew this ahead of time, but I still forgot about it. He was just like, it was either you or Casey, who was one of the gameplay counselors. He's like, oh yeah, Alexei Pajitnov's like right there. And he's I sitting did not in the row, that, the row right behind us. And he's like in his own row by himself. And like everyone in the room is just like, what the fuck? Holy shit. And Johnny's like, I've got a copy of Tetris in my backpack. Tyler, give me a Sharpie. And that was, that was pretty freaking cool. And I don't normally don't do signatures, so, uh, but I mean, it's the creative Tetris, and it was a Game Boy copy of Tetris, which I feel, you know, wh- however you feel Tetris to you, to me, I always identify with Tetris and the Game Boy first. I feel like that's where, like, had to be a bulk of people played it, uh, so that was more meaningful for me than if I had the NES copy. I know you want the Spectrum Hall by one, Tyler, but no, that doesn't even probably, mean I would probably want the me. Game Boy one signed, just because it's Nintendo, right? Right. And um, yeah, so that was cool, because I had no idea he was there. I was just like, wait, what? And I had randomly just bought that Tetris that day, so that was a really cool moment for me. Yeah, that, yeah, that was so, you just like happened to have a complete, like a really nice complete Tetris in your bag. Yeah, like I planned yeah. it. 
gameplay counselors, a lot of them, you know, went on to, some of them are just went off to do completely unrelated gigs because, you know, it was a CS job for them. But some of them continued at Nintendo or continued in the industry. And, and Casey was one that continued in the industry. And he's now the uh, vice president of marketing. He'll correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, vice president of marketing for uh, for the Tetris, the Tetris company. So, uh, so yeah, he was there with Alexi for the the Tetris finals, the World Ch- World Championship Series or whatever it is of, of Tetris. Uh, and uh, so it was just funny that like every time I saw Casey or like he needed to do something for me, you know, his obligations to me for the weekend, that there's Alexi Pagetnoff just like hanging out. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's pretty, pretty cool. cool. All right, but uh, Tyler, how else? I mean, that was what. Yeah, I know that, that was one, that moment was just one what, panel. Literally, the only yeah. panel I went to. Like, usually, I'll try to. I'll look at the schedule of panels and try to hit up cool ones. I was there to find video games. Start at the beginning. I missed the entire first day of the show because my flight was delayed seven hours. So that was really cool. Uh, so it was, you know, it wasn't delayed seven hours. It was delayed one hour, then two hours, and three hours, and four hours. It's like, oh my god, I'm never gonna make it to Portland. So I missed the first day entirely, which is which would have been my day to like, I don't know if they had panels on the first day. It would have been my day to check out the arcade, play some pinball. It was the arcade day. You hang out with people. Yeah. Uh, so we I we hung out um, with Andrew and his brother. And that's pretty much Hyrule it. Hyrule Vice. Day. Hyrule Vice. Yes. And shout out to all the people I got to meet because last year at Portland, I felt like I was Johnny's plus one because I didn't know people as well. But now I got to meet like the VGDB and I got to see Eric Excite Bike Comics again. I got to see, you know, some lot of people. Hello to everybody. Who is that? Who is that extraordinarily tall friend of yours? Uh, His name is Stefan Reese. He's uh, really big into gameplay counseling. Oh, no, that's Jeff. Sir Jeffers. He's just uh, he's just a regular collector that I know from my time in North Carolina. I, like I, I know he, with you guys, very like Johnny's just like talking to Rich Lecce, who's like one of the guys who uh, partially purchased the $100,000 Mario. So I know I know Johnny has all these really big time collectors in his orbit. Jeff, you know what? Know what I'll say about Jeff? Jeff is the only one of our friends who listens to this fucking show. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> he listens to every episode. Oh, he listens to almost every episode. He's like, ah, I skipped the Odyssey 2 show. But <laughs> Eric hasn't listened to this show in like a year. Yeah. And we yeah. mention him all the time. We need to stop mentioning him. Don't buy Excite Bike comics and games. Comics. Wow. Yeah, you, you know who does listen to this podcast all the time? Red the Game Shark. <laughs> True. Red the Game Shark does it. You guys hey, probably listen hey, to it on the way up. Yeah, we did actually. We listened to the last one because I had. And he had, he had already listened to it. I'm like, I haven't listened to it. Can I, I you know, because it's no secret that I listened to our show to like try to improve myself on the show. So I was like, I'd really like to, you know, we had a couple hours to kill still at that point because the drive up, I, you know, we had to drive. So I, I commuted up there with Red the Game Shark. And, uh, and so we drove from Southern California in a 16 seater panel van. And that was a 14 hour plus drive. So we had some time to kill. And yes, we did indeed listen to this podcast uh, on our way up. That's really funny. It's a great show. You should give us five stars. I do. I give you five stars in my heart every day. Thanks, Stefan. Yeah. That's, that's funny that you made Red Red listen to it again, or Chris listen to it again, (laughs) I should say. Yeah. I, I I'm always like Red, Chris, damn it. What do I'm I I get mixed on on how to address him cuz I have his internet name in my brain and then sure. uh you know, I know him as a as a real human being too. So I'm like Chris, Red, Chris. I just flip back and forth. He uh gracefully uh, acts like it doesn't matter. So good good on him for that. 
Oh, Tyler. speaking of internet, speaking of internet names, before we move on, just because it did happen at the end of the show for me, and it was a highlight because it, I was I was completely blown away. Uh, a gentleman, and if if you're listening at me because I didn't catch your name, and I apologize for that, but he brought up a copy of Archon for the NES, and he asked me to sign it, and it was the first time that I've signed a game that I didn't work on um, <laughs> at a show. Uh, so that was really, really cool. He's like, you can sign your real name, or your internet name. So clearly like he knew me from Instagram or something, but, uh, but yeah, man, uh, that was actually really cool for me. So I, I appreciate that. that his really ego cool. grew three times. Yep. That's right. <laughs> three sure sizes that day. <laughs> he called his mom. Mama made it. <laughs> yeah. Mama did it. I signed Archon. <laughs> I did it. It's not even where my name's from. Oh my. God, sure, sure. That's so. You sign this thing like not only is this not my namesake, but I'll sign it. Yep. All right. I didn't sign it. I didn't. I didn't sign it on the label. So you know, I felt like that was okay. Yeah. Okay. Tyler, what else do you do? What What are What are your other highlights? One of my favorite things that happened at Portland was uh, Stefan found a copy of Atlantis, and I had my Google Calendar reminder to bring Atlantis to the show. But he already had one, so I didn't have to bring my copy of Atlantis. So I get to keep both of my Odyssey 2 copies of Atlantis. And look, I have nothing from my childhood. Like, I probably have one or two games. I just don't remember which ones they are. So this kind of stupid Atlantis story is one of the only things in my collection that uh, I have a story attached to. And just to remind everyone, I bought a copy of Atlantis, I believe, for $500. And then the exact same day, I found one on, like, Let Go for $30. And I love that story. Uh, the big thing that struck me about Portland this year is it felt super different than uh, last year. Uh, and I was not expecting that. I was kind of, because uh, I, I went to MAGFest for about a decade. And pretty much every single year, it felt exactly the same with maybe a little less games, a little more anime every single year. Uh, I would have categorized last year Portland as super heavy on NES and Super Nintendo. Absolutely no imports. Uh, a decent amount of Atari and a, a surprising amount of like 8-bit computers, like old Atari Commodore kind of stuff. And this year, like not a lot of computer stuff at all. I really noticed that the Atari bins were just like total fucking bullshit and no one is even looking through them, but somehow the prices have increased. You see a bin of like Defender and Outlaw and all these garbage common Atari games and you're like, those should be a dollar maybe $2 if you're a jerk. And there's just like these disorganized bins of loose Atari games that are individually priced from like four to $10. I didn't see a single person buy one or even look through them. Like at least, at least if you're going to individually charge for Atari games, organize them. So if I'm looking for something specific, at least I'll save three, I'll spend the $3 just to pick out what I need. Uh, I think the Atari loose prices are absolutely ridiculous. And uh, no one's spending it. I, I only saw one bin of dollar Atari games, um, and they were all garbage. I know Johnny doesn't care about this, but uh, uh, no, this is your highlight reel. Not mine. Yeah, this was a uh, that that was pretty disappointing to me. It, so that was all common stuff. I didn't see anything even uncommon on the Atari front. Uh, a lot of people bring out like their glass cases. Uh, no rare Atari games at all. Uh, I think there's that one guy who had like Halloween and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He had those last year. That's Atari stuff. There there was NES and Super Nintendo stuff. Uh, there wasn't a ton of like high quality, like the mint super good stuff, like the Mario's, the Zelda's, 
the I guess there was Donkey Kong countries, but stuff like that I didn't see as much of this year. That could Super be because well, okay, that's another. Th- there were like four mint copies of Super Metroid. Am I the only one who noticed this? I th- there were at least no, two that had freaking shrink wrap on them and looked perfect for one hundred fifty dollars. And I'm like, I don't one hundred fifty dollars. That seems like the right price for an absolutely dead mint Metroid. I just I already got a pretty much dead mint Metroid, so I didn't need it. Um, yeah, that's the one game I did see a lot of Super Metroid. But like even like Chrono Trigger is it's probably as common as Super Metroid. I was looking for like my dead mint one. I was ready to blow big money on it, but I had to settle for one without the registration card. Uh, what else? Someone uh someone there had the uh the Uncharted 2 Fortune Hunter edition, which is a, a limited edition of Uncharted 2. It's limited to 200. And I'm like, whoa, that's something I really wanted for a long time, but I kind of gave up because of the price. Uh, they had it marked at $9,000. And it sold. Ooh, no, it didn't sell. Did it sell? Yes, it, it, yes, it oh, sold. Okay. I mean, yeah. that's a that's a cool freaking thing. If I cared yes. more about modern gaming, I, I would try it. It is not $9,000 cool. It is not. But it's always been like this crazy expensive thing. I Even know, like right yeah, after it came a, out. Yeah. No, it's it's been expensive forever. But, it you know, there's a lot of things that are expensive. And I just think... For nine thousand dollars of all the cool gaming items, is this the one you want? Like you have to really yep. love this thing. Yeah. Right. That's that's sort of where I'm at with it too. It's like, what else could I be like? There are so many things that I would prioritize before that that I could spend nine thousand dollars on. Do you know if it right. sold to like a collector or was someone actually? You, there's no way you could invest in that. Yeah, I I'm not sure. Okay. I looked. I mean, there's a lot of garbage. I don't I don't understand why people bring garbage. Like they'll put out like. 70 box SNES games and 50 of them will be sports games that are marked at like $15 plus. It's like, I don't, you're wait, who's buying this? You're, no one's buying this. You're wasting your time. Uh, I did go through like all of the NES carts. I was looking for like weird five screw variants. I went through every Xbox game. There must've been 3000 Xbox games at the show. I did not find one weird variant. I did not find one rare platinum hits. I don't know if there were just like other people who were getting them before me, but I was really surprised that I didn't find one cool thing on Xbox. And then I, I was looking for like Castlevania upgrades. I was looking, I wanted to get a super nice Castlevania one, two, and three. Didn't have to be like a hang tab. I just wanted Circle Seal Castlevania. Uh, I didn't see any of those. That's not true. You saw two Castlevanias. They were just being graded and not for us. Oh, I didn't look at all that great. Yeah, there was a big <laughs> Wada graded booth. There was like the Wada booth and then uh, Wafflefoot. Josh, one of the Josh, there's like two big collector Joshes. I forgot. Yeah, both of them. So Josh Byerly is yeah. the is Wafflefoot. And then Josh Hamblin was the one with the $9,000 uh, Uncharted. Oh, jeez. So, all right. I didn't, I didn't look at all that stuff. But yeah, there was, there was no Castlevanias. I also wanted a, so I, I came there wanting the Castlevanias. I wanted a Super Mario Brothers 2. I wanted to upgrade mine to a super nice copy. Could not find a super nice copy of Super Mario Brothers 2. That really surprised me. I really thought like it was going to be no problem to find that. There was a bunch of Super Mario 2s, actually, but they were all just the white oval seals. Yeah, I, d- I didn't want that. And then I wanted Shatterhand, Kickmaster, and Bucky O'Hare. And I found Shatterhand. It was kind of like an eh sealed one, but the price was right. So uh, now I have a crappy-ish sealed Shatterhand, but I'm happy with that. that that'll, that'll sate my appetite for Shatterhand, I think. Nice. Yeah. Any other highlights from the show, Tyler? Um, got a lot of manuals. You got a lot of manuals. 
I did buy Got a lot some of signing. Those. I went to like the Atari signing. It's really sad, you know, like 25 people in line to get like David Crane's autograph, who one of the biggest pioneers in video game history. And then on the other side of the room is the angry video game nerd line who has a line like out the hall. But yeah, yeah, I got, you know, got some stuff signed. I, I was pretty happy with the stuff I, I took away. Uh, I wasn't like super thrilled because I didn't find exactly what I wanted, but I did get a lot of cool stuff. Okay. Well, don't talk too much about any more about that stuff. Save it for the end of the show because you got to say what you bought. Hey, there was there was one other thing that Tyler got signed that I thought he was going to bring up that was like my favorite thing oh. he has mentioned. <laughs> uh, another Stefan's panel story. You were talking to Howard Phillips outside your panel, and I'm like, Stefan, introduce me to your friend. And then, I, do you even know him? Or was he just at the panel? Well, so, I mean, I, I had met him a little... Before that, in the you know, in the during the day, because he's he's working a lot with the Video Game History Foundation now, okay. um, and so so now that I'm working with him too, it was just that. So yes, earlier in the day we had met. Anyway, he signed my uh, my Nestor's Funky Bowling, which I just bought at the show, which I didn't really want to because uh, my uh, I bought a bunch of Virtual Boy games and they're all like super mint. So I had him sign the back of the cart because I'm like I don't really want you f-ing up my Virtual Boy games, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I was so jealous. I was like immediately like, "Oh man, I wish I had my Nestor's Funky Bowling." <laughs> I'm yes. sure. I'm sure you're gonna meet him again, Stefan. You're like, well, I, you're like I did in get the Nintendo click now. I I did get him to send some stuff, but not that. Okay, so uh, Johnny, what was your show like? Uh, my show was interesting. the The best part of the show for me is always seeing people, and that's the primary reason I go. And people say, "Yeah, that's right, bullshit." You know, I what do I spend five hundred, a thousand dollars? After you factor in like things like plane tickets, food up there, you know, nights out. Yeah, uh, it's not like a good deal to go to. Yeah, Florida. like that's why. That's why like, when people ask that, I'm like, I happen to be at a place that has video games, but it's not like a good deal for me to go there to get games. Even though I get incredible deals from friends um, and people I know, that that's not what I'm saying. When people go, oh, you're not there for the people, you're there for the games. not true because whatever money I spent on all my travel and stuff and my time, uh, if I, if it was just the, the rogue consumption of games and that was my only purpose, I would be better served sitting at home and on eBay doing that. It would be more cost effective. So it's 100% seeing the people getting to see Tyler, hang out with Stefan a little bit, even though less than I would have liked, but this year was a weird year, uh, on that front. Um, hanging out with Eric, we got to, you know, see like Waffle Foot. We got to see Dennis over at the water booth and Kenneth. So that was like really cool. I got to meet people that I'd never, I'd never really met before. Uh, Oscar and his whole crew, uh, Jose and, and David Kim. So the gamers life booth, they always give incredible deals. And, and their friend, Kevin, who is also from North Carolina, who comes out Whoa. for the show. Yeah. Uh, I forgot to tell you that he's from North Carolina too, um, and he comes out to sell with them because he's buddy with them. That's he's Air Force Shields uh, on Instagram, but they always give incredible deals. I love seeing those guys. You know, I got to we got to meet Andrew, and that was cool. So that that's really the highlight of my show was just doing all that stuff. It was cool to get that signature from uh, Lexi Pachinoff. but yeah, I mean, for me, it's. 100% just seeing the people being there, kind of talk to people. It was super cool uh, to meet your friend Jeff. 
He was a really nice guy. I didn't expect that. I didn't expect you to know nice people. Um, no, I, I have this terrible thing where everybody's like, oh, hey, yeah, I got a buddy here. Let me introduce you to him. And I'm like, oh, man, I really don't like this guy. Like, that always happens when they're like, I have this friend. You're going to love him. Like, whenever they say it like that, I'm, it's just like the, the, the kiss of death. Like, something goes wrong. It's like a horrible meeting. I have this one infamous story where uh, my best friend, he was coming over to my house, and he's bringing his buddy. He's like... Oh, yeah, this is my good friend. You're going to love this guy. He's really cool. And the first thing that happened, and I, I kid you not, we were walking into my house, and my dog was in there. And it's okay to be afraid of dogs. Like, the lights are on and everything. But the dog runs up to him, and he shrieks, and then throws his girlfriend in front of him. <laughs> this, uh, let me qualify. It is a dog. You can be scared of dogs. But this was a puppy. It was a basset hound puppy. Like a three month old puppy when they're at like their cutest, floppiest, tripping over their ears, right? Like the least intimidating creature. If you've never seen a picture of a basset hound puppy tripping over in ears and it's watching, it is, it is heart melting. It is wonderful and it's a uh, joy for me at least. So the fact that this guy did this, I was immediately out with him forever. I could not, I could <laughs> never be this guy's friend. Like the fact that he pushed his girlfriend in front. Like, so these are the kinds of things that happen when people are like, oh, this is my friend. But I thought Jeff was great. I thought he was really, uh, you know, you say he's like your regular friend, but he knew a ton about Game Boy. Well, I had fun, like, just walking up and down the aisles with him looking at Game Boy stuff. So that was a highlight for me. He always, he he seemed to be really happy. Like, every moment I talked yeah. to him, he was just, like, super, super happy about just life in general. And that was awesome. He is yeah. my only friend who just, like, happens to be way into, like, collecting stuff. It's not like I met him through collecting. It's like, oh, you're way into collecting Game Boy. Cool. That would yeah. never happen with any of my other friends. Yeah, so that was fun. Like, just hang out with Eric. Like, we, we got some good food and stuff. You missed a tower because you were you were gone. So, like, I spent uh, Friday with uh, gone. By gone, I mean sitting in Seattle waiting to come and see us. Like, we got to go out to uh, something pine, something biscuits. I, I forget. I always... Forget the name of this place. Anyways, they have really good biscuits and gravy. So that was cool. And they, they have, I don't like sausage, but they had like uh, a mushroom version of that gravy. So I could actually have biscuits and gravy. So that was really fun. Um, you know, like we just went out, like hung out, you know, a lot of walking around, just seeing people. Um, yeah, it was just a really good time. I, I don't like t Stefan's panel, like I said, was uh, a highlight as well, but like as far as the buying and stuff, like oh yeah, I bought some. I got some good deal on some Game Boy stuff. I bought some manuals. Some some stuff was bought. I'll talk about that later. But those are by no means my highlights. Johnny, you already have everything, so it's harder for you to get excited about all these games that are just out there waiting to be purchased. You say like every time you say this to me, you act like you don't have over seven thousand games. But they're not all complete. All your stuff's complete. <laughs> It's not all complete. Why would I be buying manuals if it was all complete? It's all boxed. You got the boxes. The boxes are a hard part. You can go to these and get the manuals. No, it's really funny. I mean, this is kind of obvious when you think about it. Uh, I always saw those boxes and boxes and boxes of manuals. And I just assume like there's a mix of everything. Like there's a ton of Nintendo, NES, SNES, Game Boy. You can get in commons. You can get whatever you want. Uh, and then like Sega Master System Genesis. There's like literally nothing because obviously those were all in the boxes. Those are all just gone. So that's, uh, I got five, I dug through every manual at that show and I found five Genesis manuals, I think, uh, that I needed. Yeah. The the Genesis manuals were rough. Like there were, um, there was some good manuals there. 
you know, for Genesis, but, and the manual selection, I don't want to say it was bad because it was people who had like a vast quantity. I'm start like, this was the first year I've seen a ton of Game Boy manuals. That was crazy. How yeah, many Game Boy manuals? Yeah, they, like the convention was lousy with Game Boy manuals. But I agree with your sentiment that the show felt a lot different, at, like not as far as structure, but as far as content. Like it had shifted a lot. Um, there was I don't no, mean like in a bad way or like yeah. in market trends. I, I think it's just like a good, like we got a new good mix of games. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, go ahead, Stefan. As far as market trends go, though, I mean, there w- were like last year it was just like Waters Booth selling the graded games. And now like there were at least what, three or four different booths with, with graded games and not just like a few, but like a ton. You know, both Josh's, uh, Byerly and Hamblin had had a ton of, of graded games. Um, I think so, Josh, the second Josh had, I think, four sealed Majora's masks in his glass case. Yeah. So that, as far as like difference in trend, I did certainly notice a ton more graded, obviously. But then also just like a lot more, uh, for lack of a better term, DVD cases, right? Like not, you know, like games that came in DVD cases. Um, so I think the, there's seem. I feel like there's a little bit of a of a generational shift. I mean, it's always shifting, but I think I noticed it this year. Like, like because you used to f- find all these tables with like here's like a thousand NES games, or like a table that's like, oh yeah, here's most of the North American Library for sale. Where I didn't see a ton of that yeah, as much as I saw a lot that. of of quote unquote next gen. Yep, a lot of DVDs to ignore. I felt like the stuff was more dispersed. Um, like booths had more variety in them than normal. Like there wasn't just like the Super Nintendo guy or the Genesis guy. Sure, there was a couple booths like that. But like you'd go to a booth and they would be like, here's my stack of Nintendo stuff. Here's some Genesis stuff. Here's some modern stuff. You know, it was just like every every booth was a variety booth now instead of like focused booths. Um, I will say as far as like, Lots of PS1, because that's, like, I was really hoping to walk out of there buying, like, 50 garbage PS1 games that I need. And everybody, like, whatever's happening in the gaming world, the trends here, at least, were their stuff was priced. Like, most conventions, like, I I struggle when I go to a convention and people don't have their stuff priced. And you have to, like, kind of pry an answer out of them. And I like manuals and stuff. That's fine. Like, if they're not, everything isn't individually priced. But, like, usually, like, stacks of bad PS1 games... You know they're bad, like your Maddens and stuff, so you don't put a price on it. But that was not the case this time. Like, every PS game I picked up had a price on it. I was like, whoa, what's going on here? Like, even the even the trash tier stuff, you didn't just put that in a box and say, $5. I mean, of course, there were some boxes like that, but the overwhelming majority was not like that for me this show, which I thought was interesting. Because last year, I could just pick that stuff up all day long. And uh, this year, there was... It was hard. There was a lot of PS1 stuff, but none of the super high end stuff. Um, there was some of the RPGs, but there wasn't like any of the weird rare stuff that I was, you know, would have been looking for. Uh, oh, the other thing that I found was interesting was there was no, or uh, there was a ton of Rule of Roses at this show. <laughs> oh, yes. Because <laughs> it was either two or three years ago when I went and I got, when I was looking for my pristine copy before the dog ate it. Um, I was at that show, like, I want to, this is what I want to come home with from this show. And I looked and there was only like, I only found one the whole show. And now they were just everywhere. They were lousy with them. I was just like, oh, 
I could literally trip over a rule of rows, which is, you know, interesting. Uh, you know, every, the way that game was priced that I was able to find it. But that was like a highlight of people's boot. They like put it in their glass case. It was front and center. So it was super easy to find. Right. I saw a lot less Kuans and uh, Haunting Grounds, but I saw a ton of rule of roses. Did you see any of the um, Player's Choice GameCube uh, box sets? No, none. I was curious. Because those have been uh, online, if anyone's been paying attention, those have been going like crazy prices. Stop. So I, I thought yeah, maybe. No, just stop. stop talking about them. That's like, stop. I don't want to. They're the worst. They're, those things are the worst. It's literally just player's choice games and a, and a, a sleeve from like GameStop. Yeah, please stop. Speaking of uh, some of the worst investments you could make in game collecting, along with Uncharted 2 Fortune Hunter Edition for $9,000, yeah. GameCube Player's Choice sleeves. Yep. Yep. All right. Um, anyways, that was the show for us. Uh, like I said, I had a, a really fun time. I was exhausted afterwards. I know I know Tyler was exhausted. Stefan was kind of, you were like on your own little island this year, so it was a little different Um were you exhausted after the show? I'm sure, like all the travel uh, and everything. Yeah, the travel was really exhausting. 14 hours is no joke for driving, um, and it, you know, it, I probably wouldn't have, or I'd figure had figured something else out had I not also had Red with me, because you know, then we could kind of switch off. That dude Iron Man the whole drive on the way there. He was just like, "No, I'm good," and he drove in one sitting the entire time. Uh, but uh, on the way back, we split the drive. Um, but uh, and we did end up like pulling over at a rest stop and sleeping for like an hour uh at one point which was super super helpful and man, but uh, red's booth was popping the whole time so he was like on his feet moving around like yeah. that whole show he did very 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 well and i don't think there were like a too many other import guys because like when people were asking about like who i went with i'd be like re- you know read the game show cheap cheap games and then like who and I'd be like the import guy and they're like oh yeah i know that exactly who you're talking uh, about no there was like there, three yeah. solid imp- there was like three solid import booths oh, right. his it was the best by far stuff but yeah. last year i remember complaining a lot like red like no one has pc engine games like i can't even find like anime girly games but uh they had at least anime girly games this year. Uh, no real good shooters. There's some B tier stuff that I kind of already had, but uh, yeah, there's like a guy with like a ton of Saturn and PlayStation games I didn't care about. So yeah, something. this that was weird. Like this was like one of the first times I've seen import PS One stuff at the show. So that was interesting. But, uh, but yeah, it was it was it was still tiring for me, even though I was kind of locked in the room because I was on my feet all day talking about the collection. Like even when it, when I wasn't when I wasn't in the panel, I was I was in the museum talking about what a call center is for you know the entire day. So as you m- may be able to tell, my voice is a little bit more sultry than it is normally, uh, and I am uh, I'm, I'm cutting off the mic every couple minutes to uh to hack up a lung so uh so yeah it was it was a whole lot of talking and and you know pretty exhausting yeah uh i can imagine i i worked red's booth for like an hour and a half or something on saturday just so he could get up and go go do some stuff and uh i learned exactly how little i know about import games so that was a fun <laughs> experiment. I'm like, I know a little bit. Oh God, people are. Is this a Super th- Famicom game? Maybe. I'm no, like I knew those basics, and I like I felt good when I could answer some people's questions. But they'd come up and like, do you have this game? And I'm like, I have never even heard of. What is this you're asking me about? And then they look at me like I'm an idiot because like <laughs> there's all these import games, and I'm I have to be qualified. I'm like, this is my friend's booth. He just needed to go wander around for a little bit. I am just stepping in. I just, I stepped in to help a, a little bit. Um, 
But yeah, like every time I walked past Red's booth, see if he was okay. His booth was crowded. He was on his feet. He was talking to people. So I imagine he just is wrecked after this show. So yeah, his booth was popping. I, I'm glad he did well because uh, it looked like he was doing well. I gotta so. say, if you want to get the personal touch, you should go to Red the Game Shark at Cheap Cheap Games. Because I saw him, uh, you just people just like browsing Famicom games or like, what's this? What's this? Should I buy this? Like, he like knows all about the games. He knows what everything is. So, yeah, yeah, and like, like he's able salesman. to. A couple times I saw people like basically asking for like, oh, well, what can I play without? you know, needing to know Japanese. And so he would step people through like, oh, this is a shooter. This is an action platformer. Like all these games that he, he knows his inventory very well. But so, not, yeah. Like not only does he know his inventory, but he know like he knows about those games. He's played those games. Like, so it's not just like he's a salesman for that stuff. Like he has experience with them too. It, uh, incredible amount of knowledge. So like we, when we do the inevitable import, like what should I buy? I'm, uh, so you want to collect some imports? We'll, we'll bring Red on at least for, uh, to to walk us through that. That'll be a good episode. Even so. though that was our last episode, but yes. Oh, that wasn't our last episode. That was an episode about like specific Halloween games. Okay. okay. So, are you guys ready to move on to our next topic? I know we got two topics, and we're already forty five minutes in. Oh my God, Johnny! Uh, Johnny, wait. Well, there's uh, let my, me, one more thing because I'm Tyler. Okay. Uh, the craziest thing that happened at Portland Retro Gaming Expo at the auction, which is a terribly run auction, uh, very slow, not exciting. Uh, there was a labelless Nintendo World Championships that got bid up to $16,000 without a question, like bottom three Nintendo World Championships gray that you'll ever find. Uh, and the guy didn't take it because it didn't meet his $18,000 reserve. Uh, I think that was the craziest part of the show because that cartridge was garbage highlight of the show uh what you forgot to mention is that it was the retro gem miner selling this (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah he's he's he like a known guy i mean he must be because he's he's got an nwc right i i don't know he just had like a little booth him and a friend had like a booth down on the main floor i don't know if people know him i don't know him Nothing against the guy personally. I don't know. I think it's crazy not to take that prize. But he was dressed exactly like the gem miner. So he had a hat on, and then instead of the N64 shirt with like the logos everywhere, he had the ex- identical PlayStation shirt, and it was very. Funny. And his hat was like sideways too, <laughs> and like the walk and the attitude and everything was there too. It was it was very funny to me. <sighs> Yeah, the, there were a couple surprising pieces in that auction. The Jaguar hardware that went for $4,700 was pretty surprising to me. And uh, the Nintendo chip tester, which is just a, an NES flipped on, flipped over. It's got little feet on the top of it. Uh, and then the, <laughs> excuse me, the board is socketed. Um, that was went for $1,900. Uh, so there were, there were a couple surprising pieces. The seller was uh, very that, happy with that price, the $1,900 yeah. NES. Yeah. And then I overpaid for some Nintendo Powers, but it's because they came in those plastic Nintendo Power magazine sleeves, and there were six of them, and that's what I wanted. I totally forgot you won that. Yep. Oh, yeah. Well, technically, I won that. Yes. Because Stefan <laughs> didn't true. get a bitter number. He's like, I'm not going to bid on anything. Whoa. Nintendo Power 1 through 70, I want these little things. I didn't realize that they came in sleeves, That was, uh, and I wanted the sleeves. Okay. <laughs> this guy. So, are we moving on now? Okay, sure. we can move on. So I we can talk more about this topic at another time, too. But I want to have a little fun with it because Tyler and I 
and stuff. And we've all been kind of arguing about this. And, you know, it's one of the main thrusts of this show when we talk about what is collectible and what isn't. So we've never really sat down and defined what collectible is and like what you should or shouldn't put on yourself. And the correct answer there is put whatever you want on yourself. It's you doing it. Whatever makes you happy. Uh, collect how you want. Um, we will guide you how we would collect and what our choices would be. But feel free to make other decisions. Like don't don't follow us. Uh, you know all the way step by step because we're not always correct or, and we have our own slants. But I wanted to bring it up to you guys and let's like let's define what's collectible and then I'm just going to throw just like maybe four or five things at you and you can tell me I want both of your opinions on whether it's collectible or not even if you agree or disagree. So let's start with uh, a definition of collectible. That's either with the i or the a, the i so c o l l e c t i B L E or A B L E. Uh, I'm a big believer a, in the I. The I is the more American. The A is the more British. Both are correct. Okay, so if you've ever come across that, uh, that's why that's that way. Um, so let's uh, let's go ahead and go through a few definitions. An object that is collected by fanciers. That's a really weak f- definition. Yeah, there's like <laughs> the definition of this word. This is a Merriam-Webster. So terrible. Like all around the definitions for this word are suitable of being collectible. <laughs> cool. So uh, then there's like the the payment version like, oh, as in to collect money. Um, worth collecting of interest to a collector. Able to be collected. And then like the best version of this that i'm getting uh by all these super bad ones is an item valued and sought by collectors but i I think we all went through with like our teachers in elementary school where they said like don't use the origin word to help define the word because that doesn't help anybody so that's what all these definitions did really terrible but tyler you have some other definitions so uh you want to tell us some better ones uh, the, the first one that comes up that's not like a, a dictionary definition is Investopedia, and I think it's a very strange one. It's uh, a collectible is an item that's worth more than it was originally sold for because of rarity or popularity. I mean, I don't think that the price has to be more than MSRP. I think most collectible things probably sell for less than MSRP. Like people will collect magic cards. Not every magic card has to sell for more than $3 or $4 because of pack, right? Well, no, and a lot of NES games are worth less than their MSRP. And yeah, everything yeah. like in video Tons games, of games are worth less than sixty dollars. Like it's crazy. Like a game worth the more than sixty dollars is like a high end game. But maybe that's what it, that's like the collectible game, and the rest you're all just collecting garbage. Yeah. According to uh, this is a kind of weird definition, but this is how most um, antiques antique blogs deal with it. This is actually the United States Customs Service definition of it. Uh, anything older than a hundred years is an antique. Anything newer than 100 years is a collectible. Uh, that's that's kind of a strange thing. Uh, reserved investments would be very <laughs> into that definition. I think he's actually said that before. Yes, yeah. Al- almost certainly. Th- this is one that's like really big with like antique and collectible kind of things. Like people are into like glass and historical documents and weird stuff like that. Uh, probably not going to be what we're talking about. And uh, the final definition I have is another very strange one by a renowned collector of things, Harry Rinker. Collectibles are objects. (laughs) Collectibles are objects that date between 1980 and 2000. 
<laughs> oh, um, and I don't think any of us will agree with that one either. <laughs> nope. Yeah, I've, I've always I've always had taken issue with uh, using monetary value as defining a collectible, just because there are plenty of people who collect things, or, or uh, unless you're going to say, oh no, that's not collecting, that's amassing or whatever. But there's plenty of people who collect things that are, you know, little to no value. So, and I've talked about this a little bit, like what the difference, like let's talk about a collector, like people will define that as a person who collects uh, a specific thing uh, or type and it is a hobby, which, you know, is how you kind of differentiate yourself from a hoarder is the organization and, you know, it's purpose bound. Like it's not just, uh, even though I, I do believe very heavily that there can be a, you know, a mental component that, that drives your collecting, you know, uh, impulse behavior, you know, dopamine receptors firing off because you obtained a new shiny. That's very much, you know, um, in the collector mindset, but it is not like in the mental illness side of, uh, hoarding, which is, is less purposeful, more just, uh, the rogue amassing of, of things and without organization and just putting them in. Even though I've seen plenty of collectors who have just like piles of what looks like trash, but are actually expensive games sitting around <laughs> their places. Um, so I, I just wanted to kind of go through that as well. Anything you guys want to add to like what a collector is before I kind of ask you if a thing is collectible or not. Kind of based on all these definitions, I, I think I like the dictionary ones more. Um, What's the the one that like something a collector fancies, whatever your crazy first uh, definition is like, I feel like it's kind of like the porn thing where it's like, I know it when I see it. Like, I know that if I find a loose PCB of a Game Boy game that's like Super Mario Land, I'd be like, that's not collectible. That is just a piece of trash. But if you have the plastic shell around that, that's collectible. So like. I mean, we're probably going to get into it with examples and stuff, but uh, I'm going with the I know it when I see it. I'm going to use the definition of collector within my definition for collectible. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the audience, bear in mind when I throw these things out there that I, I'm focusing this more at video games. We've heard a couple of different definitions that we're going to use to apply, but I'm, I am going to try and keep this video game focused. Like I said, I don't have too many questions asked, but I just want you guys to tell me whether it is a collectible or isn't, even it, it is like, regardless, it will be a thing that people collect, but is it collectible? That's the question. All right. Wait, Johnny, I have oh. an emergency here. I'll be back in two minutes. Okay. Don't stop recording. I don't know I, what he said. Well, he said don't stop recording, but actually I was going to suggest that I also take a moment to go check on Piper. Just oh, since please he's, do. he's gone. All right, I'll be back. So we got a bunch of dead air here, and it's just Johnny here talking to you guys. Um, hey, I don't have anything really to say. This is all just going to be dead air. I don't get to compliment Stefan and Tyler enough, and since they don't take them, I'll just put it here. Uh, they're they're both, if you haven't got to meet them in person, they're both super nice guys. They're sweethearts. Uh, Stefan is super genuine. He's free with his hugs. Um, you know, he's going, he's going through a rough time right now and he stands up pretty tall and he, he just takes it. And, you know, uh, whether you agree with how everything is handled or not, um, you know, he came out and he's made the best of a bad situation. Uh, and he will, he's a person who is generous with his time, even though all this stuff is going on. 
And, uh, you know, he puts on a, he puts on a brave face and he comes out and he talks to us. Like I said, super genuine. Couldn't ask to talk to a nicer guy. Tyler, uh, this is only the second time I ever got to physically meet him in person. And, uh, you know, Tyler is great. He, he is as sarcastic outside of the show as he is on the show. He's a lot of fun. He's got a, a really good sense of humor, but in general, he's a super nice guy. He likes to follow the rules. Um, you know, but if you ask him or need him to do something, he'll, he'll be there for you. Very generous. Um, and these guys work hard. Tyler does edit the show all by himself. He gets on me for all my microphone stuff, but 100%, uh, you know, like we all do this for free. Uh, you know, it's not even free. We spend into the show. I spend my money and my time. These guys spend their, their time. Tyler even spends more, uh, you know, we are out here because we enjoy it. So I hope you guys are enjoying the the show that we put on. So that's that. Oh, what else can I talk about? Oh, we just got a review um, where we said the word English. And I'm going to say we, even though it was specifically Tyler. And our, uh, our reviewer there called it out as problematic. And we talked about it and we're not sure if it is. Um, not that we're trying to disagree with anyone like, there and I think the internet was kind of confused on on whether it is or not. So we will probably try to just steer away from it if, if that's a concern. And we said that specifically into a about a game that was using broken Japanese and English translation, uh, just for a lack of better word. That was our, our common word. So uh, yeah, we weren't we weren't trying to be offensive. If if you were in fact offended by that, that was just a. That was just what we were calling it. We weren't even aware that uh, people took offense to that. We So whatever, we, we, we've talked about it. doesn't matter what the case is. We'll probably steer clear of that uh, just to be safe in the future. Because whatever we're doing, we're never here to try and uh, hurt people's feelings. Even though sometimes we'll pick on people like that guy who, um, you know, looked like the retro gem miner. Again, didn't know him personally. He just happened to be dressed like that. That sounds really gross. Whoa, what did I just... All right. Yeah. You stumbled into to me talking about a bunch of stuff, which you don't even know about, which will be funny when you're editing, because it's the first time you'll hear it. Stefan also is checking on his child right now. He needed a little break as well. Oh. So you can decide if you keep this in the show or not. Probably not. Wait, are you talking to Stefan? Are you no, talking to No, I was yourself? talking to the audience. I, what the- On a podcast, I'm never talking to myself. Oh I'm always talking to someone. You don't know what I've said. You know, I've had it's those a mystery. I've had our, our heart to hearts with the audience. I don't remember what we talked about. Probably nothing important. Probably a lot less entertaining than I am now. I'm way more entertaining now, Johnny. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Tyler, let's hear about you. Like, what are you doing right after this show? Are you going right to bed? I'm going to boot up my work laptop and probably work for at least an hour. Oh, gross. Why? Because uh, I felt I felt sick. I've done like nothing at work for two days. I've done like the barest bare minimum for like two days now. And I need to do a little bit more than the bare minimum. Cause I, I just kind of feel like, you know, falling asleep and not doing anything, man. Monday was a real hard day. Monday was a real hard you day. You went to work on Monday. Yeah, man. This is a mistake. Don't do that. I, I usually I, take I, off two days after every show I go to, which is wonderful. Cause it's like, I get my real weekend back. But uh, I'm taking my honeymoon three weeks in March, so I kind of don't have as much time off as I wish I did. Well, things are a little different with the baby, especially since he goes to daycare. So 
Like, I have to ask whether it's easier to be at work for myself and have him at daycare or to be at home with him when I'm, like, exhausted. So that was an equation I had to do. And I sided on daycare because I was just mentally exhausted. I'm back. All right. Hey, we're all back. Okay. So I'm going to ask you guys a couple of items that I think are collectible. I Well, I don't want to say. Johnny I, thinks these are all collectible. Whoa, hold on. <laughs> they are collected by people. I don't necessarily think they are collectible. Let me correct myself. Because the first one I have, I definitely don't think is collectible. But we'll let you guys tell me. All right. All video game focused. Uh, Pokemon. As in, in Pokemon Go. Are those things collectible? Like, could you sell your account? Is that a thing worth collecting? No. Johnny, stop. Digital Why? items are not collectible. Uh, Wizards of the Coast tried this with uh, Modo Magic Online with digital objects where they sold me my digital magic collection all the way back, I think, to 2001. And then they're replacing it with Arena. And soon all of my digital objects will be worthless as soon as they think they can get away with it without angering too many longtime players. Well, yeah. don't. No, no, well, one, that's not true. Two, those items do have value. And don't all collectibles have like, or not all, but don't a lot of collectibles have like a finite space of time in which that they have value. And aren't we not talking about the monetary aspect of it? I would Stop caution. Ag- yeah, I would caution against d- digital items because. Uh, because you're all old men. No, afraid because of the digital era. The same thing, like if 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 the ser- especially ones that depend on servers, which I can't think of anyone that wouldn't. So then, the moment that that game is sunset, then it's not just that. It's not like when a uh, toys to life game sunsets. Right, you still have even those those toys are not able to be used for their intended purpose. Uh, you still have them, right? Where with a digital good, you actually cease to have that item. Uh, so that would be why I would personally say that they aren't collectible because of the kind of ethereal nature of them. And you know, if an an MMO that goes under you know, that goes belly up and they turn those servers off, and now you know, like yes, you could have sold your account while it was live or s- sold items within that game while it was live, but as soon as it's turned off, you you don't just not have worthless items; you cease to have those items. Yeah, so you guys kind of went into my next thing. I, I meant specific to like Pokemon Go collecting because all those people go out and they collect Pokemon. But I was going to get into digital games, Steam libraries, and MMO art- artifacts is what I was going to ask. And I think you guys kind of uh, took my question and answered it as uh, would have answered the same way. So uh, we'll go ahead and strike that one from the so, list. Tyler, hold on. What do you, you don't. Uh... What am I with? Think that like the next generation, or maybe like the next next generation, will answer that question differently. Like people who like just they don't even grow up with like DVDs. Like they just grow up with Netflix. They're like, because there's like these apps, or at least there were. I don't know if they're still popular. Where all it is is like you buy and collect digital stickers, just literally JPEGs, and you can like put them in your chats or whatever. Are we gonna enter this like weird matrix world where people like? think their digital collections have as much value as we put on physical collections. I don't know. That might be the future. Um, you know, I don't know. Like the, I know there is like the star Wars collector card app and there's like 
all these games where people pay money into them and stuff like the Star Wars collector app is like basically collecting dig just digital cards. It's digitally collecting cards and people pay in big that I don't know if kids will be into that or not. Uh, we could go into my whole uh, my whole rant about the non-permanence of the future and how big companies are are making subscription services and convincing you to live a Spartan life and convincing you that, uh, you know, subscription services are the way you should be slanted, but then you have no physical goods you own. So if you ever ran out of money, you would just never have things to sell. You would just be 100% destitute. Like you would have no physical worth. Like you would have no liquidity in your life. I'm not advocating one way or the other, but I definitely think there's a trend that way, right? Like you can see, see that like there's no more physical music, no more physical movies, physical games are like moving away from that. And I definitely don't want physical games anymore. I have a ton I can collect and I would love it if we just got to a digital age and got to that convenience point. I know I'm a weird outlier, but there is this trend where, you know, big corporations want to make sure that you don't own anything. I mean, I don't, I don't mind that future so long as like the licensing agreements are structured so that if i download like good old games for instance i i like the way that they do things right where it's um you know if i purchase a piece of software from them and i download it locally that is mine forever right so like i don't mind digital goods where i get my instance forever and then if they were to delist it then if i since i had already bought it i'm still able to download it as long as there's a permanence to my ability to continue to have the purchase that i made i'm okay it's when they have these licensing structures to like netflix for instance right um not not that you're really purchasing anything but like they um you know they change their catalog constantly and so it's it's frustrating because you know you'll be like oh well i don't need to buy any of like the doctor who dvds because that's all on netflix but then the license will change and then now you don't have doctor who on netflix anymore it's on this other streaming service um so that i i don't mind digital it just needs to be structured so that i still own my digital goods uh itunes i i actually buy quite a bit of like stuff from itunes uh all my favorite shows favorite movies like because digital codes come in though so i kind of buy them on the on the secondhand market and stuff um i wish the i wish the repository was better and like i could organize that stuff better because their program is absolute garbage for it but i i do like owning my digital library just for that case i mean i also have like a you know i have a ton of just movies in a in a hard drive that i could do but i do like the idea if i'm traveling or whatever i can kind of take my collection with me but yeah that that's a, a big inconvenience of these services anyways we don't need to go down the my uh my rabbit hole of non-permanence and uh, how you guys are being squeezed out by big corporations all, all you young kids and uh how you'll never own anything and you'll have no worth and you're actually just becoming an indentured servants to the state and your taxes are going up and your services are going down let's uh let's get back to collectible fun stuff instead of uh johnny's tinfoil hat uh rantings yeah, that um, got real dark. Yeah, yeah, it gets real <laughs> ugly when I think about it. That's why I just want to buy video games and have fun. Hey, guys, what about Perlers? You know, them beat it up Shut items. Johnny, why are we No, 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 <laughs> because 
people put this on their shelves and I want to know if they're collectible or if they're worth buying or putting on their shelves, Tyler. I'm asking you, it's my segment. Answer the question. Are things like Perlers of Mario and like Super Metroid and Stefan has a huge one, so maybe he's got a different opinion. Are they collectible? I don't put arts and crafts into the same category as collectibles. Oh, arts not collectible? Not arts and crafts. I feel like arts and crafts is different from fine art. Hmm? Uh, well, there, there's actually a, a, an arts and craft period that took place uh, in the 1950s, and it has a bunch of highly collectible objects that are very expensive. <laughs> but go on. <laughs> there's just going to be some, like like anthropologist in 300 years like these were the perler beads of the 2000s i don't think you can i don't think you can personally make a collectible i don't know i feel like that's like the ultimate manufacturing of a collectible if you could just like go to your kitchen and make something that's like it doesn't really have any value to me but i don't know that i guess i'm i'm more in it for the history of having a real thing stefan um, I don't know that I would say, you, well, so when Tyler says you, he's really talking about Tyler, because there are certainly plenty of like artists, fine artists that do create collectibles for a living. So yeah, like well, random- Doesn't he buy stupid craft puzzle boxes? That is that exactly consider- what I was thinking of when I, when I said this. Yes, Tyler buys- That is collectible craft- fine art. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, but, but those like, are arts but and like crafts. But some dude oh made God. that at his kitchen table. Like- in his workshop. So, which may or may not be his kitchen table. Oh, my God. Maybe that Perler has a, a workshop. Um, I certainly wouldn't say they're like they're valueless. Like As as the one in this conversation who has paid $1,000 for a Perler. Uh, now, Super granted, gross, that, by the way. <laughs> granted, that was an 80,000 bead hand-laid uh, one-to-one pixel-perfect image of the forest scene in Chrono Trigger. And it is the only Perler currently displayed in my game room um we just lost three listeners because of just how ridiculous that fact is uh it took the it took the beater like uh basically a year of his life (laughs) to make it so yeah i don't yeah so obviously i I assign a value to them i wouldn't say that they're collectible in that i don't know there's just no there's no rails on it like are you are you you know because you wouldn't like you know put two beads together and say look i just made a new collectible do you know what i mean like i don't know if you're Uh, if you put like if you made something like stefan's giant scene and you made original art like that then sure i would consider that collectible art if you are just one-to-one copying a scene from a nintendo game and there's no originality to it i'm like you're just doing what a machine could do it's there's no creativity or you know thing there to me there is some, especially when you're working with like limited color palettes and you have to like figure out like, for instance, um, you know, there's a, a bunch of subtleties in the blacks, right, of of that scene. And uh, so there was a lot, there's a lot of thought that goes in. I don't know if you want to differentiate thought and creativity, but there was a lot of thought put into like, okay, this color does not exist. How am I going to replicate it? Or I need to make this not just a solid field of black. How am I going to make this look natural? Um, so, so there is that kind of stuff. Sometimes you have to make concessions or like, um, you know, sometimes you're working with an image that isn't like pixels are not a perfect square. So then you have to figure out how you're going to, re- how you're going to replicate that. Um, so there, again, there is thought that goes into it. I also just hate tchotchkes. And one of the reasons I hate the MagFest marketplace is like half the places just sell perlers now. 
Yeah. Look, I, I don't love that stuff either. Um, so I don't think it's collectible, but I do think there's a place in game rooms for some of it. Some people want more, some people want less. I think it can enhance a collection, like a, a look, being art, you know, having little scenes and stuff, drawing attention to, to certain aspects of a game room to, to like flush out how your game room looks. And I think, uh, that's how that kind of stuff is is best utilized. And I'm not saying that it has no value and you couldn't sell it to someone else who might also want to do that. But I don't think it they are particularly collectible. But I just wanted to ask, especially because Stefan has a very expensive one. And a lot of people, you know, it seemed like three years ago, people were all over that. Everyone was making it, trying to sell it, and people were buying it. Uh, I have like a refrigerator magnet one that I was given and stuff, so... There's a few beads in my house as well, but not very many, because uh, I don't that's not where I want to put my money as far as collectibles go. And I would not advise if you were like trying to build your game collection that that's where you put your money first. I would say like, if you got like a cool dedicated area and you want to snazz it up, that's when you start looking at that stuff. I'd so, agree. I, 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 I've seen curlers. Yeah. Well, if, I've, yeah, I've seen to enhance. I've seen some nice ones. Like let's not don't downplay people. tower. downplaying them. You can do character accents, you know, like, oh, here's some Mega Man characters amongst my Nintendo games. Or like I have seen, I, actually, I think it was someone we knew, Johnny, that used um, Perler's signs for like like console system signs. Like, you, yeah. know, you know, in Nintendo and Sega and PlayStation above all the, the different shelves. And they did use Perler's for that. Yeah. Anyways, that's my thoughts on it. Like I said, don't, don't, don't look at that stuff as stuff you should try to collect. Uh, but feel and free Tyler to will look down throw on a you cup for owning them. Yeah. Tyler's being super <laughs> snooty about it. Yeah, Tyler is a snooty snooty. He's our he's our most elitist collector. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not which is weird. No, no, you are like the nose up collector. Yeah. Um, so Stefan is. Uh, even though Stefan buys a bunch of ridiculous stuff, people believe he's more salt to the earth. Even though when we talked about going in and like looking around at the at the floor this year at Portland, he was like, and all that commoner garbage. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. That, so. that added, that attitude was in jest, but I mean, it is certainly true that like, I don't walk floors as much with like an interest in what is in there. It's just cause I don't. Cause you've elevated it beyond that. That's we right. understand. I have, I have transcended. I no longer yeah. see retail items as collectibles. Those were mass produced. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I was going to get to mass produced items <laughs> and let Stefan try to answer that question. But, um, what, I have I have achieved my final form, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, all right, amiibos, guys, are amiibos collectible? Stefan, you go first. Uh, I guess that's something on the opposite of Perlers. That's um, <laughs> something that you can collect that I assign no value to. Um, but um, yeah, I, it's it's. I certainly wouldn't recommend it because I mean they're especially for. Um, I mean, can we broaden this a little bit more to like toys to life, right? I'm gonna, uh, yeah, we'll say toys to life is the category. Okay. Because okay. like Amiibos, like that is funded by, you know, backed by Nintendo who is too big to fail and will, they're going to support that, that line forever just because they can. But there's certainly many, many examples now of failed toys to life uh, products that have now lost their functionality, you know, Disney Infinity and Lego Dimensions. I don't and... think they failed. They did great for two years. Yeah, but um, or what's the one? I'd say that that the one that did fail, Skylander. The, the, the no, the spaceship one that just like is already in like Star Dock or something. Yeah, Star Star Wing or what? Star what, what something. Was that called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, so, so yeah, there's those now are just action figures or just figurines. They no longer serve their functional purpose like they did previously. And that's kind of a bummer. People spend money on them and amass collections of them. But like, I, all I ever see is just these people who like have these giant amiibo collections and they go, yeah, this is uh, something I'm going to just stick in my closet. Or why did I buy these? Like, I very seldom do I see people with these huge amiibo collections being like, yeah, I got awesome amiibos. Like, I don't know. I just don't see a lot of that. Amiibos are sweet. Yeah. They are, like, if if people didn't think about them as, you know, a functionality to a game, and I've said this before, people would think Amiibos were sweet. Um, we'll let Tyler answer, then I'll throw my little my little opinions in here. Tyler, go ahead. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of Amiibos, but they're absolutely collectible. I mean, they're... I, no one cares about the stupid NFC functionality. Literally nobody uses Amiibos. They're just cool little Nintendo statues. We say that all the time on the show. But, you know, people... They go for like sets. They collect them. They're like, I want all the Super Smash Brothers amiibos, or I want all the NES amiibos, like Duck Hunt and Rob and all those guys. Uh, I think they're 100%. You can't debate. They are collectible little figures. I think in terms of value, they will be like Beanie Babies if they're not already. I think we had the amiibo crash, and now we're having the amiibo rise again. And I would not think like amiibos are a a mainstay collectible category that is going to last in the long term. Uh, but yeah, totally collectible thing. It's going to be interesting, like in 10 years to see where collectors come down on Amiibos, especially like first print versus second print Amiibos and stuff, because now that that's already part of the collector landscape, um, if they're going to start pushing those agendas, I I'm really curious to see how that goes. I think Amiibos are collectible. Um, I wouldn't advise collecting them, but uh, 100 percent believe they're cool and sweet um if you own them the, then the debate becomes in or out of the package open them oh man i have so many not opened and I, by that i mean most of mine and some of them are so good they're so good specifically like i have the boo amiibo and i love it so much you know and um i just i had the piranha plant those are my two favorites johnny yeah. You ever notice how whenever Tyler says literally no one, he's really just talking about himself? Yeah, all the time. What did I say literally <laughs> no one to? That literally no one uses the NFC functionality. Nobody uses the NFC functionality. Nope, Have you ever not you. an Amiibo on anything except yes. Breath of the Wild? Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. What are you yep. people talking about? Nope. Write to our show at P.O. Box 304, Simi Valley, and tell us if you actually use your Amiibos. You don't. Oh you guys God. don't even open them. No one opens I op them. Well, I some can people take, open them. I can take a picture of my open amiibos. Oh my god! You, how many amiibos do you have open versus sealed, Johnny? Well, I have about ten open. You don't use and your fucking amiibos. <laughs> I have about ten open, and I have a bunch sealed. How about that? Uh, now, and I, I want I like we went to Toys to Life on this, but I asked about amiibos specifically so we could ask this one. The world of Nintendo figures, the, like the ones you find in Target, they have a bunch of different sizes and ranges on, on these things, and you can just kind of see them randomly. How do you feel about those? Will those be collectible? Are they collectible? Collectible or not, go. So, and we can make this broader. Toys about video games, because like there's the Sonic figures now and stuff. Just like action-y figure stuff. Collectible or not? I mean, there certainly are some. Uh, I mean, it, since the topic is a little bit broader like the like the joyride 
Samus that I think that was, was that a Nintendo Power issued thing? Um, but, you know, that's a couple hundred dollar figure. I I don't tend to see people who have like, oh, here's my set of World of Nintendo stuff. That does send, tend to be a little bit more like tailored to people's tastes. Yep. Uh, like, uh, unlike, unlike Amiibos where people just, I think I see a lot more, you know, just... Uh, Straight up buying gathering, stuff. Gathering, like, yeah. Yeah. But uh, but the the world of Nintendo stuff and some of that is really really beautiful. I don't see and maybe I could be wrong. I don't see a ton of it going for over market value, but they're really really cool. I I guess I, I'm similar to the uh, the amiibos. Like uh, Nintendo puts them out there. You can get kind of sets. Kind of the world of Nintendo as a whole, I think, is less collectible than amiibos. Because they come in like all different sorts of scales. Not everything kind of meshes together. Whereas kind of everything in an Amiibo, you can put it all on a shelf and it all kind of looks like it goes together. Uh, I think uh, Chris from Dollar Dorks, uh, he collected like every World of Nintendo figure for a while and then burned out on it. Do you remember this, Johnny? I I vaguely remember he had a bunch and then he also buys Amiibos. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't see like people in 30 years are going to be going after those rare world of Nintendo figures. Um, there's a lot of stuff like that Nintendo made from the 80s, like those those trophy figures. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I forget exactly what they're called. There's like weird Nintendo stuff from the 80s where it has like that old style Mario and it's not like worth hundreds of dollars. It's just like a cool curiosity toy that you have. That's like, oh, this is this weird old thing that Nintendo made. Like maybe decades from now, people will see the world of Nintendo figures that way. Yeah, because like we now we have like the weird shampoo bottles and stuff that are figures of Mario, like and and some of the old stuff and like bed sheets that people pay money yeah. for and sure. lunch pails, but those are like a crossover because there's like lunch pail collectors. I asked about those because they're new, but then I, if you guys were really dissenting, I was going to bring up this stuff. But you guys are reasonable and already got there, so yep. um, yeah, I agree with your guys' takes on those. I don't think right, I don't. If, if Nintendo makes a physical object, I don't think you will find anything. I will say it is not collectible in some way. Okay, I kind of don't understand why the two lines exist separately anymore. Like if the I, I don't right? like, yeah. Well, because one has to have like an NFC. I I don't understand why they've confused the line and made too many different scales. I wish they wouldn't have done that because it really makes it hard to sit down and say like, if I wanted to collect it, now you've given me a barrier that I don't know if that I that I don't want. You know, I'm like, I don't like this. Is I don't want to do this. Um, so because before I was just like little figures, but. What if no, uh, like all the Amiibos were like kind of that same scale that they are, and then all the World and Nintendo stuff was like one-to-one scale, like not exactly, but like everything was two scale with everything else in the universe? I would, get, I would go in on World and Nintendo. That would be awesome. Yeah. Some of it is. Isn't, isn't like their Bowser really big? I don't know. I have no idea. But I bet, yeah, they, like, I bet you can get eight different sized Marios, though. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely can. Um, and you can get like a like there's a bunch of cool Zelda scenes, but it's not like to scale with the amiibos. I'm like just out on them. Um, all right, let's go the other way. Let's go high end. What about all these statues and like first four figures and stuff? Like you know, oh my god, these like three hundred dollar items, collectible, bad five hundred dollar items, Johnny. I would know. I get advertised them on Facebook every single yep. day. I am their Me core too. audience for some reason. Um, which is weird. I don't get those, and I have a bunch of like statues in my house. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's the epitome of manufactured rarity, right? I think Tyler rallies against manufactured rarity a lot. Are they manufactured um, rare? I thought it's just you pay more to get the cool one. Right, but there's less. You, le- do, but you pay more and there's less of the cool oh, one. Oh, yeah. Right. 
I mean, certainly like I, on a, a fluke, I have one of their first ones um, just because I thought it was cool at the time. I have the the like Shadow Samus, which apparently is a gajillion dollars now. You would have to, I mean, I guess there are the like the sideshow collectors that buy like everything in their niche or whatever and end up with a bajillion statues. And Johnny, I know you have an extensive collection of Star Wars ones. I wouldn't call it extensive. I got like 10, maybe 15. Maybe that's but. extensive to people. Now I sound like a dick. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Jeez, Daddy Warbucks. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I have, I have some of my favorite Star Wars figures, and I like to do a couple of scenes. But yeah, I have a few. I collected so uh, people have probably heard my my video game origin story before, but before I collected games, I collected Ninja Turtles really heavily, uh, and that was I did buy all those like cold cast resin sideshow turtles statues and then heather one day she was trying to clean a uh a a bookcase that they were sitting on top of and decided to push it without taking anything off the bookcase and the bookcase collapsed and they all broke (laughs) uh so i stopped collecting them then it's a funny story we appreciate it thank you uh i would i would say yes the the four hundred dollar crazy figures are collectible that's the only reason they exist you you keep picking all these things the only reason to exist is to put them on shelves and what I, do collectors I, do if not put things on shelves so i mean i have someplace i was going with this i'm, I'm building a point um i actually like on all this stuff it's not too collectible i, I because I, what i wanted to ask about this and i got like one more thing but we can get to my point real quick and then i'll ask you how you feel about the other stuff because it's kind of aside from that um is that People kind of collect, and it's not a binary experience. It's not yes collectible, no collectible. There, there are different niches even within the world. Like, oh, you collect Nintendo games. I collect video games. Uh, so, are Nintendo powers not collectible? Because I collect video games. So, Nintendo powers are now collectible, right? We all agreed on that. But those are just magazines. Are are EGMs collectible? No. Is it because it's Nintendo that it makes it collectible? I just want to like kind of bring to attention like. This this sphere of collecting, like amiibos are fine. Do you collect Skylanders? Ooh, maybe not Skylanders, but amiibos are okay. There's a lot of corner case stuff, and a lot of it uh, you get a pass if you've got Nintendo in your brand. I mean, I also you know a lot of context uh, factors into that. When you were talking about EGM, I ended it. I just immediately thought of Frank Zafaldi, who runs the Video Game History Foundation. He the foundation has an extensive collection of just video game physical publications and in fact it's really kind of frustrating walking the floor with him sometimes i was actually walking the floor of portland with him and uh every time we saw a magazine or like a box of magazines even though we were trying to get somewhere he's like wait i I gotta stop and i have to look at this right so like certainly frank collects magazines to an incredibly uh obsessive level um, so to him, he would answer your question. Yes, absolutely. To any magazine oh. publication you brought up with video game in it. Well, see, th- there's a difference on how I feel of our magazines, an important part of history and should they be collected and saved, you know, and should they, a repository of them exist, but versus like how people collect them, people started collecting the, like the turbo plays and, uh, the Sega magazine and stuff like they started to, yeah. uh, but it's nowhere in the same realm as like the Nintendo powers, right? Sure. Um, and like all this other ancillary stuff, like more people collect Amiibos than collect the Sonic figures. You know, not that people don't collect the Sonic figures in a high rate. Um, but th- the other thing was just like, 
hey, there's a bunch of like weird side collectible stuff that that people don't. You might not just collect games. People add a lot of stuff to, uh, as we were saying, kind of just spice up their game room, add some some different levels to it. I'm not above that, um, even though I don't do a ton. Even Tyler might have a little of it, even though he probably has the least. And you collect. Stefan uh, on a totally different access right now yeah. than the rest of us. Like, well, would I say is a chunk of a wall of Nintendo collectible? <laughs> and you would say, hell yeah, where can I buy it? And you <laughs> did. And the other people are like, no, what do I want a brick for? Uh, yeah, I know. mean, I think, well, and I, this is actually, it's funny you brought this up because this is something that I talked about in like when I was talking about my display in the museum a lot uh, this weekend is how much context matters because some of the things that I paid money for, like a half off coupon to Billy McHale's, which is a uh, Redmond area restaurant that doesn't exist anymore. Like that's literal garbage to like a lot of people. But I, or like the amount of like business cards and receipts and just rando paperwork that I purchase, uh, it's literal garbage to a lot of people. But in the context of what I'm building, like if I stripped away all that literal garbage from that display I put on over the weekend, it would have been so much less of an experience, right? So in the context of what I'm doing, like there is value, there is a, you know, a collectible-ness to what I was putting together. So, Stefan, that uh, how much did you pay for that coupon? Are you comfortable telling us? Uh, I mean, it was part of. So, when I buy st- ancillary stuff like that, that's like that I know it's ancillary. like a throw-in. Just put a number um, on it. I, I don't know because because basically what happens is people leave leave a company, they dump their entire contents of their desk into a box, put that box into a garage, and then thirty years later, I buy that box. Say five dollars. Like, that makes my point. Okay, five dollars. Okay, so that had a cash value of a tenth of a cent to begin with, and since you it was sold for more than what it was originally worth due to its rarity or popularity, that coupon <laughs> is collectible. Nice, got it. But yeah, it only took me a couple questions to get there. All right, <laughs> sorry, you did it. All right, um, so I'm pretty much done with this topic. I'm gonna leave us with one more hot button one. One I just won wanted Stefan to get to the context part because uh, context and collecting is very important. Also collect what uh, you want, um, but maybe focus on the good stuff and not trash like perlers. Uh, wow. <laughs> sorry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's be real, Tyler, right? Come on, focus on the good stuff. Um, but here's another one of the here, – here's Tyler's favorite one, and this is why I saved it for last. And then we will talk about uh, what we bought and what we played. Tyler, our, uh, let's talk about – let's talk about repros. Like uh, my my English copy of Sweet Home, is that collectible? I got a, I got a sweet box and cart for it from Time Walk Games. You, kn- you know it's not, Johnny. It's not, why not? not? That's, that's arts and crafts. But what about – Time walk stuff became collectible. Bootlegs aren't collectible. You can't like that. What are they called? What's a facsimile? There's something one collectible has copy, a facsimile. like a proc. No, a copy of a worse. I think it's a, a version. It's like a, some deg- degradation. Like coins, I think. Like rare coins will have facsimile coins that are just like fake rare coins. Or uh, magic cards have proxy cards. You can't go on AliExpress. Uh, buy 2,000 Black Lotuses for $19, and that adds something to your collection. It's just uh, no, but pile of nonsense. To, jo- to Johnny's point, some of the like well-known high-end reproductions are very expensive. Yeah, they're expensive. 
like the what the um the DuckTales press kit that Time Walk did is I think it was Time Walk, right? That, that wasn't the, licensed no. by Disney? No, that wasn't Time Walk. Are you sure? Some like some kind of like bootleggy guy did that though. That definitely was like something yeah. weird. Like someone li- like literally a, just googled it, who can make me a Nintendo I, game and they picked like I think it was either Fishy Face or Rose Colored Gaming. I think it was Fishy Face. But yeah. Um anyways, go on. Go on with your points. Oh, that was it. I was just, just that, you know, there are a lot of the the there are high-end uh reproductions that are very expensive. I I think we've gotten to a weird point where some manufacturers hold things in esteem, like their copies of uh, like Hyper Metroid, things that don't actually exist can be very expensive to buy when you have a nice version of it. But that I, I don't like, I think those are things that enhance your collection, make it look cool, but don't have value unless you have the context of everything else sitting there. But if that was the only thing in your collection that would, like if that's all you collected... That would be strange. And who was that? I, oh, Tyler, you'll know. Who is the guy who only collected like homebrew and uh, like repros uh, that sold out like two years ago? I didn't know there was a guy who only collected homebrew. And- yeah, he had like a Zelda. It was like a, he had a Zelda icon from Nintendo Age. What was his name? God. I have no can't idea remember. what you're talking about. But he, he was like, he had the largest collection of like homebrew games. I mean, Ferris Bueller is the guy, (laughs) Christian Dietering, he's way into it. I mean, whoever you're talking about has to have like a garage cart is what I'm thinking. And I only know a couple people who own them. Yeah. Anyways. um, But there was a guy who just, he sold his stuff at Portland not so long ago, but like a lot of the repro stuff sat there for a little while. Because it's fake. I think that stuff needs, yeah, look, (laughs) I don't think you should buy that stuff as a collectible. I think you should buy it because you like it. You think it's neat. I think... You could fall down a rabbit hole and think time walk games are collectible. They aren't. So, I, doesn't mean they're not cool. I just don't think they're collectible. So, uh, uh, reserved investments on YouTube is trying to sell his sweet home for $2,000 on eBay right now. If I got the exact printer that was printed on and I printed up an identical copy of sweet home to time walk games, would my version of Sweet Home be just as collectible? Or does the fact that it was made by Time Walk Games, renowned bootlegger, somehow make that more collectible? That just seems so crazy to me. Uh, I mean, you're paying for a little bit of a name there. You're... So. I mean, there's a copy of Archon right now that's way more collectible because it's got my name on it. No, absolutely. <laughs> it's the, it's absolutely. a one of one, so... That's right. Yeah, one on one. Do you um, remember okay. the guy on Nintendo Age who uh I, I don't know what this this might have been Reddit because it seems like such a Reddit thing. He wanted to print out all like 700 NES games and make like the just like make repro boxes himself or like maybe buy them and just put them on a shelf and call that his collection. Just 700 fake boxes on a shelf. Is that collectible? No. That is exactly how I feel about repro games. That is no, just I, a poor use of space. Yeah, it just and, the craziest. And it would have cost him like over a thousand dollars. Just like yeah, nonsense. Well, look, I just told you, I think they're not collectible and don't do it. I know, I know. I, I think, that, like I said, I think you can enhance your collection with these. I think they're cool shelf pieces, but I don't think they're necessarily collectible. Anyways, that's all I got to say about that. And thanks for playing along with my little game. Because uh, people ask me a lot, oh, is this collectible? And I'm like, well, I mean, you can go collect whatever you want. Doesn't you can collect go trash. Cool. Um, but that doesn't mean that it is collectible to collectors. So 
that's the differentiations I wanted to make. I, I also wanted to get to the context thing. I led you guys down my path and I got all the places I wanted to get. So cool. Let's talk about, uh, let's, cause we bought some, like we bought like a bevy of things, Tyler, and like, we don't need to list every mail. Give me a couple of highlights from the things you bought from Portland. I mean, you will go f- first and second and then Stefan can tell us about whatever ridiculous, <laughs> rare, stupid thing he bought. All right. He probably had the counselors Ta- like bring him stuff. Uh, yeah, I, 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 definitely. I, he definitely I did. Have. So <laughs> he definitely did. So Tyler, tell me what is a couple of cool things you found from Portland? Uh, well, the first thing I found uh, while we were walking around while everybody was setting up, I didn't find anything I was like super looking for. And then we found this lady who had all these Game Boy games, just like tons of Game Boy games, all priced like like game value now prices basically, but a lot of them were super nice. So there was really good prices that I wouldn't have expected to see at a show. Yeah. Game value now tends to be a little under anyway. Yeah. Game value now is basically always under for really nice games. Cause there's so many crappy games mixed in. Uh, and we've talked about virtual boy games a couple times recently. And I feel, I feel like I even brought up specifically on the show that whenever I go through my virtual boy games, I just pick it up like a deck of cards and pick out the one I want to play. Cause I have zero virtual boy boxes. I think I might have the, the baseball game box. Cause that is like $10 sealed. But uh, I picked up 3D Tetris, Golf, Wario Land, Panic Bomber, Vertical Force, and Nestor's Funky Bowling. Complete. They've got the little baggies. They've got the dust covers. They are super, super nice. Like 9 out of 10. Uh, And I'm very happy with that. And uh, I also got Final Fantasy Adventure and Final Fantasy Legend from her. Yep. Good buys. Good buys. Yeah. And then you bought me the uh, Captain America with the pin which is uh, is something I wanted. It was listed at 100. You got it uh, for me for 80. Uh, I appreciate that, Johnny. Now I will turn around and resell that for hopefully 40. What can I get for? I don't know. You're not selling that. Get out of here. uh, No, I'm selling the... the, Oh, yeah. I already have the game. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got Knuckles Chaotix, which I still haven't checked if I already own. Um, Really hope I don't. (laughs) Uh, What's some other good stuff? I got... A super nice Sparkster was the very last thing I got. I needed a box upgrade on that, and I found one like the registration card. Super nice. I bought a sealed Shatterhand for some reason, and the reason is I specifically came to Portland looking for Shatterhand as one of the main games I wanted to buy, and I found zero copies of it except for the sealed one. It is not a great seal. Um, it is not even in very great shape. Uh, it's probably like a 7 out of 10 with a C-plus seal in a lot of terms, but uh, it was only a little bit more than complete price, so why not? Yep. Got a complete Chrono Trigger with no registration card, another game I was looking for. It's it's all right. And I was standing next to Johnny, and I opened up an NBA Jam, and I had the sealed card pack in it, and with my best poker face, I was like, whoa! Uh, <laughs> which, uh, if I'm ever at your booth looking at stuff, you will know when I find something I really like, because uh, I had no poker face there, but then it was only 10 bucks, so I obviously bought that too. And then I looked it up. That's like not worth anything apparently on eBay, but it doesn't come up. So I'm happy I have it. Yeah. It's kind of annoying to find. I was jealous you got it. Good. Well, I'm happy All I right. got it. Okay. I'm going to move in now. Uh, we're, we didn't, even if you played something, we're not going to talk about that this week. <laughs> so Johnny's sorry. done. Johnny wants to end the episode. I, I do have to go watch my child, okay. but also we are at an hour and 40 minutes already. So, um, gentlemen, I got a couple of good things that I, I'm very pleased about. We already told you about the Tetris, super nice Tetris that just happened to got 
signed. I, I didn't buy it to get it signed, but there we are. Um, so that was really cool. I got a couple of Game Boy games. I was really excited to get uh, Batman Return of the Joker for Game Boy. I was like really excited about that one. Was that from uh, the also, Game Boy lady? Um, no, that was from Kevin Sorry, over at the Gamers they're probably, Life. They're probably like a store. I'm just calling her the Game Boy yeah. lady. So, We're going to find out that it's actually called the Game Boy lady. Oop. Yeah. Uh, the Gamers Life booth, like they always have the best deals. And I like just shout out to those guys every time. If you're at a convention where uh, Syphic or J Rob or David Kim are selling or Air Force Shields, like go to those guys. They always have good stuff and reasonable prices. Best booth of the show, hands down, every year. Their stuff is gone in like 10 minutes, though. They better be your first stop. Like not yeah. all their stuff, but like they get cleared out. Yeah, they get like people know the secret's out. The other, I bought a couple of. PlayStation 1 games, who cares? The cool thing I bought, and this is like dangerous waters I've started to wade into, and I said, if I saw any at the show, I would buy them. PAL Super Nintendo games. So I started buying those. They, my rule is they have to have never come out in the US, though. So Got it's it. fine if it came out in Japan, and, and uh, fine if it was just in Europe, or Europe and Japan, but never in the US. So... I bought a couple games. They're they're not good or even good cool games. It's like F one World Championship Edition, kickoff soccer and world class rugby. It's like literally, literally the, the most bottom. European games you can yeah, buy. Yeah. Bottom of the barrel that I like aside from getting like a cricket game, uh like I, I didn't get the most European things you could get, but that's all very European. If you took the F one out and, and put in cricket, it would be like super European. Um, and then I got a bunch of manuals and stuff. Like I said, I, I got a bunch of other good Game Boy stuff. And uh, Chris read the Game Shark, cooked me up with like a Panic Bomber from Japan, which they're all dressed like monsters. This version of Panic Bomber it was like a really cute Halloween game. And he gave me a visual, one of those visual sound novels I mentioned in the last show. So that, and I just got some more good Game Boy stuff. Anyways, that's what I bought. And now, Stefan, you can go on and tell us like your whatever ridiculous things you got. I mean, I, I've got a signed Tetris by Alexei Pajanov <laughs> for the Game Boy, but somehow I'm not going to win collecting this week. Go ahead. <laughs> you, you know what's funny about the Famicom stuff, too, that you got from Red is that it came from me. <laughs> what? Uh, the sound novel? Yeah. Um, How did you get the sound novel? I, I had a bunch of, I, my Famicom, my, my Super Famicom stuff has been like really, really unfocused. And so I decided to just like purge that down to just like basically titles that I really like or really like the cover art. So like I, I dumped a bunch of titles that I just didn't care about. And that was one of them. Interesting. So of life. I will focus just on, because I did have a, a number of pickups and like Tyler alluded to or guessed that uh, I did get some things from the counselors that I brought with me. Um, but most of that stuff ended up in the museum. So I'm not going to talk about that because you can go look at the museum. The one thing I did want to focus on was I just, it, it was just weird the way it happened too, because it was three different transactions, all the, of like uh, internal pr nature. internal production things for uh, Nintendo Power. So, oh my God. so a couple days, so a couple days before the event, I had, I had um, connected with a former gameplay counselor. But then after he left uh, Nintendo's gameplay counseling department, he joined Nintendo Power as an artist. So he had this sketchbook just full of like mostly like the little like you know how they used to do interstitial 
uh, images like in a paragraph, you know, it'd be like a paragraph of text and then set into that. It's like a, like a, a kid playing the Super Nintendo or like whatever, just like these little interstitial, almost thumbnail images. So he drew a lot of those. And so I essentially bought a sketchbook full of these images. Um, so that is amazing. And uh, I'm totally, totally jazzed about that. And then at the show, um, I was approached in the museum by uh, a gentleman that had uh, a bunch of pre-production Howard Nestor content. So it's all like color proofs and scripts and emails between like Gail Tilden and the writer and just like crazy, crazy uh, production stuff for Howard and Nestor. So there's like us probably 200 pieces of of that um and then lastly my favorite thing it might be my new uh tyler always makes fun of me oh it's the new favorite new crown third one this year a new crown jewel in the collection um (laughs) is that uh you know the first x amount i don't even remember how many first few uh nintendo power covers were not drawn they were photographed so you know they would set up a scene or this is not the crown jewel of your collection a, a clay figure and uh, and then they would photograph that, and that would be the cover. So on for um, issue three of Nintendo Power, they did track and field, uh, where it was a, a pair of rocket boots running down, you know, by, by themselves shoes, under their own power. They yeah, boots. They were boot, they were high just tops. High tops. Yeah. And so uh, uh, someone approached me who had those shoes. Uh, which I've never seen a physical artifact from a Nintendo Power cover ever been come up for sale at all, or even like owned in someone's private collection. I've just never seen that. Um, so they're a little bit worse for wear, obviously, because they would you know do these photo shoots, and the stuff that they used was meant to survive the photo shoot, and that's it. So, uh, but you can absolutely tell what they were, um, and they are this just awesome pair of Converse high tops that was used on the cover of Nintendo it's Power Number Three. Garbage. <laughs> it's just like yeah. got like See? stuff glued to it. Right? Right? See, context matters because <laughs> Tyler thinks it's garbage, and I think it's one of a very historically relevant piece for the magazine. So there. I mean, I'm only I'm I'm down on it because I don't like Nintendo Power because I think what? it's basically unreadable. I mean, I thought it, I mean it was the greatest thing ever when I was 13 years old. But if you go back and read any issue of Nintendo Power, it's like, oh, this is there's no content here. It's like, yeah, oh, I could you- learn how to beat the first two levels of this game that anyone can beat. You could say something similar about like two thirds of the NES library, and you still own it all. I love the like, NES library. Oh, this is this is really cool when I was Nintendo 13, Power, and now it's, it's unplayable. It's really fun to skim and look at the pictures and the layout. All that stuff is great. There's no content to actually read. It's like the most uninteresting content. But whatever, hot take, I guess. Read yes. Next Generation. Next Generation is a, a magazine for adults. Cool. All right, Devin. Anything else you want to call out? Uh, oh yeah, the one one thing that I did get from and it came from one of my counselors was the uh, it was it's just a retail N sixty four, but it was the gifted N sixty four for people who worked on it. So it has a sticker on it that says uh, "Thank you for your contribution to Project Reality," which was the working title for the N sixty four. So I think that's really really neat. Um, but and I'll uh, I, th- I was going to put that up on Instagram tonight actually. So so watch out for that. All right. So Johnny won. He got Tetris signed by Alexei Pajitnov. Sweet. All right. <laughs> Stefan just got it. a bunch of one-of-a-kind artifacts. Yeah. Nothing new there. It's <laughs> not even games, bro. <laughs> uh, by the way, as a child, I loved Howard and Nestor. I, I really like looked forward to that every issue. It was the first thing I read in Nintendo Power each, each time it came. Did I... Um... 
Did I show you that stuff? Did you get a chance? You did. To? Yeah, okay. I yeah. told you. I thought that was very cool. I'm, I'm putting as much of it. I'm putting as much of it online as I can. The the it's going to be a little bit slow for the like the scripts and stuff because the um, original owner had asked that you know his names be, his name be redacted from anything, and so it's a bunch of correspondence with his name all over it. So I have to go through and like scan it in, and then redact his name, and then I can start releasing it. But so it, it's a slow process, and there's a couple other things that that have priority over that. Like I want to start scanning the, um, the gameplay counselor binders. So that definitely takes priority over that. So, but, uh, I already put, there's a, um, a thread on Ninten- Nintendo age, something like Howard and Nestor color proofs or something like that, uh, where you can see all the color proofs. Um, don't you mean game sage games, age video or- game sage. Come yeah. on. Nintendo age is so 2019. <laughs> well, I'm retro. So, you know, uh, shout out to people who made a new form and gave it a terrible name. There was a thread on Nintendo Age with literally dozens of names, and they ended up with video were, game sage. Did did people vote though on this? Uh, I missed this whole thing. There was a did vote, and then people then people decided like you shouldn't put it up to a vote. It's your own thing. You should do whatever you want. And instead of consulting like a brand person, they picked a bad name. Video game sage sound, makes it sound like a retail store. Like I would think that it, that would be a storefront. Like if you it also about- like I don't know if they thought it was cute because it's also like video games age, like Nintendo age. Like they thought they were cute playing off that. I, like I can understand like drawing the similarity. Also, those people are there to not talk about video games specifically. They're there to talk about Nintendo. I mean, the other names, like, they had all these generic names, like, 1-Up Legacy, Carts and Consoles, Retro Gauntlet, like, just... Hey, all all those are really stupid stupid buzzwords that... I like when a a website has, like, a really strong identity where you could tell it's it's linked to something, but it isn't using a word that every other site uses, like Polygon or Giant Bomb. Like, everyone knows what those are. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah like people are on video bill, game stage. The Bullet Bill Society would have been way cooler than video <laughs> game stage. Bullet Bill Society? Is that a real one? No, I just made that up. Okay, that's uh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Speaking of uh, Go Collect. You can join our new collect, uh, uh, our new website, Bullet Bill Society. Welcome. And you can find us on Facebook at uh, uh, Pirates of Dark Water Rules. <laughs> yeah, if you're sad and you need someone to talk to. About Pirates of Dark Water. Uh, or anything. Pirates of Dark Water and those people are there for you. So join us there. That is a real Facebook group where we will definitely comment or like your posts if you talk about Pirates of Dark Water. And there are definitely people there who have never listened to this podcast. <laughs> 100%. We are the number one site for Pirates of Dark Water on the internet right now. Completely by accident. <laughs> yeah. But 100% full of love. That's right. All right. So I just wanted to say, speaking of Go Collect, uh, oh. if I had walked into the Portland Retro Gaming Expo and I hadn't read on Instagram beforehand that Go Collect was the sponsor, I would have just been completely shocked at all of the Go Collect stuff. It's the first booth you see when you walk in. They got signs all over the place. I'm like, oh, Go Collect is taking over the hobby. I forgot. Although the only time that I felt really like th- that it was like thrust upon me was at the auction where they put like t-shirts over all the chairs. I was like, oh, okay, that's something. That wasn't all the chairs. That was just at those special tables. Oh. You were sitting at a special table. Ah. So, I mean, we were all sitting at a special table, but I was only Thanks, at a special. Dennis. Yeah, I was only at a special table because you invited me as your plush one. No one thinks I'm all that interesting. They don't want to bring me to special tables. 
I wanted to, Johnny. I, I know, and I appreciate it. And, you know, I, I will say for convention food and stuff and catered food, that chicken was way better than it had any right to be. Yeah, I was expecting it to be like we toast. Just, yeah, awful. And we even got there late. It was pretty good. I was surprised. Anyways, no one gives a shit about that. All right. Guys, do you want to tell them where where they can find you? Stefan, go ahead. Yeah, Archon1981 on uh, on YouTube and mostly Instagram and Nintendo Age and apparently Video Game Sage now. Yeah. <laughs> I made an account right before this broadcast, so there and you go. And Instagram, yeah, woo, woo. Tyler. Um, default Gen, Default G-E-N at all those places and Game TZ, another dying forum, just like Video Game Sage will be soon. <laughs> Who goes wow. on forums? <laughs> Who goes on forums? It's all about social media. We're old men. All right. But really, go on forums. Forums are the best, guys. Yeah, forums have a ton of good info. Go there. Um, and go also, collect. Nintendo Age might be getting deleted in a week. Uh, we didn't question talk mark, about question that. Question mark, question mark. Yeah. Uh, we'll just leave that up in the air. Hopefully, you know by now. Yeah, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. We'll know sooner than later. Um, and if it happens, we'll talk about it. I'm Johnny underscore Iucci, that's J-O-H-N-N-Y underscore I-U-C-C-I, but you know that, and you know where to find me, it's right here. And you can find me on Nintendo Age as Johnny, and you can also find me on Video Game Sage as Johnny, because <laughs> why wouldn't I just do the exact same thing everywhere I could? Um, yeah, anyways, those are the places I typically am. Feel free to reach out to us here or there if you have comments about the show. And um, the last thing I wanted to say is... Uh, if you got some PAL Super Nintendo games and you want to send them my way, not for free, but for, for money exchanges, let me know. Also, bye!